Okay, well, I'll share this with the listeners as well. You don't have to. You can just say it. And then... It was a vocal warm-up, and it was Betty bought a bitter butter, but the butter Betty bought was bitter, so Betty bought a better butter that was better than the bitter butter Betty bought before. That's quite impressive. Thank you. We should do that into a song and dancing, like singing in the rain with Moses supposes his toes is the roses. <laughs> but Moses supposes erroneously. Yeah. Or in My Fair Lady, the rain in Spain falls ming, the yon, the plain, boom, boom, boom. Or however that goes, it's been a while since I've seen My Fair Lady. Yes, yeah, so the Betty bought a bit of butter. It, it is it is kind of good, but that was the only one I could actually like say properly. Hmm. So I don't know whether that actually is functioning as a tongue twister or as just... Because it's kind of meant to be a little bit of a tongue twister, but I guess it's meant to just get you repeating the same sort of lines over and over again and sort of sounds, and that's that's the idea. I guess. I don't know. But I, I guess. I guess that it counts as a vocal warm-up. So, so yes. So I want a different one from you next time, Rob. Okay, I, I, I won't. <laughs> well, you can do. You can practice it. Hmm. Bobby bought a bit of Battenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to bark all day? This is a tasty burger. I am just a figment of your imagination. Here's Johnny. You are a sad, strange little man. These guys Don't fail me again. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Popcorn Bucket Podcast with Ben to be wild and Born to Rob. This is a regular look at the wonderful world of films, film franchises and film nonsense. I don't think we're going to make any Born to Rob bumper stickers as tie-in merch for this podcast. <laughs> this week is a one-shot episode where we pick a topic and choose a standalone film to discuss with full spoilers which isn't connected to a sequel, spin-off or prequel, and hope that the other hasn't picked it, and hope we've chosen wisely, yet uniquely. This week, the random popcorn maker of film topics has popped up driving films, because we live our lives one quarter podcast at a time. We do. Well, the actual reason I tinkered with the machine a little bit, after many years, I'm actually properly learning to drive now, at the tender age of 36. Yeah, it's uh, certainly something. I drove past our old school the other day in fact don't think you're allowed to <laughs> yeah no i that was the first i've ever driven um and i still had to negotiate some traffic lights and everything but uh yeah it's the thing i've learned very quickly about driving is that people are assholes hmm. if you just preempt that sort of selfish assholiness you you'll be fine like, for instance, like the couple of times I've, I've, you know, actually been driving and actually met traffic and everything, you know, they're breaking the rules all the time. You know, they're meant to give way. They're meant to kind of indicate or something and just didn't. And so it does seem to me that there are the rules of the road and then the way that people interpret the rules of the road. And they're similar, but they're not the same. And I kind of knew that anyway, but it's it's weird to see it in practice. It's It's weird to to be following the rules and then see some other prick in their car who, you know, who is super comfortable with driving and everything, just completely throw all that out the window. It's infuriating, actually. So, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. I've only had, like, five lessons so far. So it's not as if I can enter the Gumball Rally or anything, but it's, 
it's cool. I can I can see why people like it, and certainly it's going to mean a lot more sort of like driving places and actually mm. kind of doing things. You know, it really does open up your world, doesn't it? Yeah. So yes, we always start these uh, these one shots with a look back at the older one shot that we did. And it feels like a long result. time ago. It does because it was, I think. Hmm. It was probably a good month or two months ago, wasn't it? Yeah, because I suppose we did a lot of uh, Batman. Yeah, so, we, were, we were on a, a bat trek, which we we feast recently completed. So, so we did. What was the best film from twenty thirteen? Yeah, you went for Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa, and I went for the Jason Statham starring Hummingbird. Yeah, and the result was sixty uh, percent for Hummingbird, which I am astounded at. Congratulations! Thank you. Do you know why I think that is? Because I've got multiple accounts. No, you put a picture of the bloody birds on there. And I tell you what, these idiots who voted, thank you for voting, by the way, but these <laughs> fucking drooling morons don't even bother reading shit and they just saw two pictures of birds and they saw a really <laughs> dowdy-looking partridge next to an exotic hummingbird. Hmm, I wonder which one they're going to pick. <laughs> I don't really think... That's exactly what happened. <laughs> it could just be that people don't enjoy Alan Partridge. Fuck you and fuck them. <laughs> but vote for me this time, yeah? That's, that's what I think happened, and I think you knew that. I don't think I did. Done over again. It's fine. I'm not taking it personally. So, driving films, Rob. How did, how did you approach this one? I thought, what films are good films that have driving in? And then I went for a film that had driving in. But it's got to be its got to be more than that. Or at least it was to me. I was kind of like, I don't just want... Here's a person who's good at driving. Although that is obviously part of it. Like, if I, if I had... If, if, if the franchise rules were, were gone, I'd go for, like, Fury Road. Mad Max Fury Road. Because cars and everything are like a religion. Hmm. in 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 that film like they they even do the 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 war boys they do that sort of crossed hand type thing like a, a v8 engine hmm. and like you know it is there is a ritual around getting a car getting the kind of thing so so i wanted something that's just a little bit deeper than driving even though you know ostensibly at the at fury road is a car chase movie but there's there's more to it than that. I wanted you know some kind of man and machine simpatico type deal. A, another one that I would have done if it wasn't part of a franchise was Bumblebee, because Bumblebee is okay, a great yeah, one yeah, in yeah. the fact that it's a girl's first proper car. Hmm. <laughs> but it it means it means so much more than just the just the car. Like it's it's her dad's legacy. It's it's that sort of. It, it, there's a whole bunch of stuff going into that, and mm. and obviously the car is also an alien robot. You know the classic story. If I was going for a franchise film, I possibly would have gone for one of the Fast and Furious, like seven or ten, um, or Herbie Fully Loaded. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought that that as well. And in fact, in Fast X, there's a bit where Vin Diesel's teaching uh, teaching the kid to do donuts in the mm. in the parking lot or whatever and he's saying about feeling what the car kind of needs or feeling how the car's reacting and again that, that goes beyond something like just just you drive the car and you drive it well it's kind of like it's it's more of a spiritual thing to Vin Diesel because you know the 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 car to Dominic Toretto is like the cape to Superman it's just like it's well 
Superman has the powers without the cape. But you know what I mean. It's like the it's the, it's like his superpower. Hmm. Once he gets behind the wheel, he's he's a superhero. But I guess also without it, that's why he pulls down the missile silo and the ninth. It's that film fucking sucks fast nine <laughs> anyway um so so that's kind of how i approached it so if you just went i want to pick a film that's got car driving in it then that's fine too that's equally valid i can see why you win all the time because i picked the better film did you pick the better picture no I there's don't. nothing to do with your film on that one occasion mostly it's just the film poster yeah so you go first this time. I do. And if you have chosen this one, or if because um, I, I know sometimes you tend to watch a couple just in case to talk about it. I haven't. I I purposely only watched one, okay. so I can maybe if you if you've picked the thing that I've picked, I can maybe talk about the thing. But I will say it's the thing, and we'll we'll just have to call it a dead heat. Yeah. So what have you picked? I've gone for 2011's Drive. If I drive for you, you give me a time and a place. I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes, and I'm yours, no matter what. I don't sit in while you're running it down. I don't carry a gun. I drive. So you just moved to LA? No, I've been here for a while. What do you do? I drive for movies. Is that dangerous? It's only part-time. You put this kid behind the wheel. There's nothing he can't do. Kid, I want you to meet Mr. Bernie Rose. My hands are a little dirty. So am I. My husband's coming home. Where is he? He's in prison. There's some guys that want me to do a job for him, and I'm not going to do it. What is that you got there? One of those men gave you that? What's the job? When you get your money, his debt's paid. You never go near his family again. I nearly went for that, and I nearly went for Baby Driver as okay. well. And I thought, that's too obvious because it's got Drive in the title. <laughs> yeah. So what, what did I do when I thought, how did I come to it? I thought, well, what's Ben said? Driving. That's too long a word. Short it Drive. Drive! I, I, I wanted to be slightly less obvious because I, I figured you probably would go for Drive. Yeah, I, thought, I figured you figured that. Yes, I thought that this this would be the thing you were going for, and I thought we can't just driving films and then have drive and baby driver like that. Yeah. Just shows how unimaginative we are. It's did... fine if one of us goes for one of them, but if we both go for each one, then it seems a little bit. I mean, it could of... just be because they are good films. I did watch Baby Driver as well, because um, ah, okay. because I, I wasn't sure. I was sort of having an arming about which one I was going to go for. But so then... which which um, which put it drives away. I think I, oh, I watched it first, and then I've not seen it for a couple of years, and it's it's a fantastic film. It is. Well, tell us all about it, dude. Okay, so it is uh, released in 2011. It is directed by Nicholas Winding Refn from a screenplay by uh, Hossein Mini, who I think went on to do Obi-Wan Kenobi TV series, uh, based on the book Drive by James Salis, which I have read, and from memory, the film is much better. Uh, starring Ryan Gosling, Carey Mulligan, Brian Cranston, Christina Hendricks, Ron Perlman, Oscar Isaac and Albert Brooks. Drive is the story of a Hollywood stunt driver by day, Ryan Gosling, a loner by nature, who moonlights as a top-notch getaway driver for hire in the criminal underworld. He finds himself a target for some, some of LA's most dangerous men after agreeing to aid the husband of his beautiful neighbour, Irene, Carey Mulligan. 
When the job goes dangerously awry, the only way he can keep Irene and her son alive is to do what he does best. Drive. Yes, I haven't seen this film for a while, actually. As I said, I didn't I didn't actually uh, hedge my bets and, and watch these things. I, I figured I'd watch them after, hmm. but I didn't want to influence my choice, so... So yeah, so it's been it's been a hot minute since I've seen Drive, but then there are certain things about it that are completely unforgettable mm. and just really stick with you. So well, you and I went to see this, and I think I think this was the first film film I drove you to after passing my test. Was it really? Yeah, I think so. Wow! Did you pass first time, by the way? Yeah. Of course you did. And goodness knows how. Oh, okay. So you don't feel that you absolutely aced it, and no. And everything. No, you when weren't, I, when you weren't I, suddenly a confident driver. No, when I stopped, they went back. So uh, you passed. <laughs> really? <laughs> Are you sure? Oh wow! Well, I didn't know that. Okay, well, congratulations on passing first time. Thank you. Twelve years ago. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Can I ask one more thing before you talk about drive a little bit more? What is your favourite thing about driving? I don't know. I don't really have a favourite thing about driving. Do you not? Do you not like enjoy it? There have been occasions. I mean, it's just something to get for me. To me, it gives you sort of independence. Um, yeah, it, it is. I know, you know, people who really enjoy it. Occasionally, you're on sort of like a nice country road somewhere, particularly up in North Wales, where um, then there'll be some lovely sort of winding roads. But then there's also, you can also get that from being on the mountain. Mm. I suppose it's nice when something like, like nice comes into view, like when you, you know, go over sort of a bit of a hill and see like a lake or something. That's always hmm. nice. But then I think you get that if you were walking over a hill and saw a lake. Yeah, just slower. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. I suppose I suppose listening to, you know, music or podcasts or just something. Music, yeah, yeah, no, that's where I do most of my podcast listening. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, all that stuff kind of becomes second nature. You sort of forget, you know, not forget to signal. It just becomes, it just you mm. just do it without thinking, I need to signal. You just do it, you know. Don't think, just feel. Yeah, well, that is the thing that I'm actually kind of surprised at is the fact that you can feel when the car is telling you stuff. Mm. Like, like in terms of you can, you can, you know, you feel when you haven't, you haven't changed gear properly or yeah. put the clutch yeah, yeah, down yeah. properly or something. You can, you can feel the car complaining mm. and you can hear it. It's, it's like it's surprising how much you can feel just by being in the driver's seat. Um, so, so yes, I, I, that, that was something that did surprise me because you could even like just taking the handbrake off and everything you can, and you know, putting your foot on the clutch, you can feel the car actually shift and you're just like, Ooh, I didn't know that that was a thing, but it is. Well, that's, uh, in that bit in rush, isn't it? With the, uh, when the guy, uh, when Nicky Lauder talks about his, yes. And he's, yeah. 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 Well, exactly. And I, I understand that that little bit more now. Hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Carry on. I just I just wanted to maybe I'd dick around with that, and we'll talk about driving in general. It's just I I hadn't asked you that question in person. That's I thought, right. Well, since we're talking about driving, I'll I'll, I'll ask you. As you're a driver, you've driven me around places. Um, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to to hear it's like it's like someone's finally caught up on the tv series you've been recommending to them for <laughs> decades you know and they just and they're just like oh my god why didn't you tell me about this and you're like oh my god i did there was a there was a bbc program i think it was on bbc three years ago and it's one of those things that i i'm not entirely sure if i 
remember, you know, if I've made the entire thing up. But there was a series. It starred uh, Nicholas. Uh, I can't think. The guy, the guy who's in Death in Paradise, or well, wasn't Death in Paradise. Never really thought he was going to be Doctor Who. Chris Humphreys. Chris. Chris Humphreys. Chris Marshall. Chris Marshall. So not Nicholas at all. <laughs> <laughs> And and the guy who was Moriarty and uh, the Sherlock, BBC Sherlock, Andrew Scott, and they yeah. were flatmates. And every episode was sort of themed around a different film. For whatever was going on in their life, it ended up becoming sort of some type film type parody type thing. And there was a Top Gun driving school episode. Oh, right. Was it good? It was all right. I mean, it never had a second series, and I don't think there's any trace of it anywhere. Yeah. It's funny how those those kind of shows kind of you think like did that happen or did I imagine it? Mm. Do you know what I looked up the other day because I remembered something and I was kind of like maybe that didn't happen. Maybe that was a thing. There's a kids TV series about a bad children's choir called Out of Tune. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, do you know it's, it's very very hard to find anything about it online. Yeah, Jane Danson find- was in there. It was in Coronation Street. You can find little bits here and there. You can find it existed. It ran for quite a, quite a while. Yeah. But the, the the I remember the running joke being that the the, the kids were terrible singers. Hmm. So so you know that that would be that would be the gift that kept on giving. But yeah, I remember that being like a mainstay. And then just and I was like, did I imagine that? That must have been some bullshit. And I just happened to remember it the other day and googled it and saw. That there's a page on it that just says there isn't much <laughs> evidence that it it did exist, but obviously it did. Uh, but it was it was actually a thing. You're not going crazy. Yeah. So anyway, Drive. Drive. Film. Released in 2011, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. So I love this film. It is one of my top films, and I'm glad it sort of still holds up. And I where I watched it for this and you know still love it as much as where, where are we talking in terms of, of top Rob 100 um I mean I've traditionally put it in my top five okay I really like Is, it yeah I mean it's a cracker um it's a hell of a movie I mean it, it, I don't I don't think it was like the first film no I, I, I don't know I mean but you, you and I when we came out of the cinema um, and said you know it, that we, you know, we we'd seen something special, and it felt like you know this is a good film. Even the the opening when you've got that sort of that nice pink font, which is that sort of pink and neon, which is sort of uh, similar to Mistral, the font. Mm. I think I think I immediately kind of hit you to the ground, started stamping on you, and whipped out my hammer. I think I was just yeah that yeah I, I'm pretty well, sure it was yeah. quite it was quite a memorable cinema thing. Um, yeah, it was quite it was. it was quite an empty audience. There were two separate groups that were really noisy. There was a group of girls who were sat behind us who, whenever Ryan Gosling appeared on the screen, like, or to focus on his face, they'd go, hey, girl, because that wasn't a meme, Ryan Gosling meme. Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, there yeah was, where he was deeply feminist. And then there was a um, a lady who and her husband, and I think he brought her along and she didn't know what she was seeing. Because there's quite a lot of, there's a story about a woman in America who sued, uh, which probably doesn't tie into my... Um, films while driving argument but tried to sue the production company because she felt the the um the trailer implied it was a sort of a fast and furious type film and it wasn't um and she did not like the violence because this film is it's strange there's i think there's like three or four incredibly violent moments but the rest of it isn't and it's like really long 
gaps and it's really it's quite a you know quite a beautiful film quite it's got quite a nice fluid motion to it and like all these long silences punctuated by looks and stuff between uh, Kenny Mulligan and Ryan Gosling and then there's sort of horrific sorry horrific hyper violent uh, brutal as we said before it's brutal that's a podcast term now that's the official thing we're going to get that printed on a (laughs) t-shirt Brutiful. Um, yeah, brutal, brutal on a t-shirt and born to rob on uh, on the back of cars. Although you may not want to put that if you've got a criminal record because the police may target you. I had a list of songs, that of, of driving songs. I just Googled songs about driving and just changed the title. And that was just on there. I like, I like Bruce Springsteen. Either that or I was going to go for Little Rob Corvette. <laughs> um, yeah, and so it, it, in the film, um, there's a character gets a... Um, a fork in their eye, and she screamed and was. And by this point, she'd been screaming a lot to the point where it was like, "Why are you still watching the film?" And you leaned over and said, "If only I had a fork." I don't remember that at all. I do not condone violence against random annoying. No, actually, I do. I do condone violence against random annoying audience members. They can fuck right off. I tried to leave that ambiguous enough then that you could have said, "Yeah, well, you were annoying me," or something. No, 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 no. No, it was uh, it was definitely her. Yes. Yeah. So well, I, I have much a, I have a much lower tolerance for people acting like asses and sinners. I told you that's the Planet of the Apes thing with a person ruining the end of War for Planet of the Apes for me because he was just talking the entire time like this. When I uh, saw the first Black Panther film, um, there was somebody who, whenever. I can't remember the Kenneth from um, Skins. Daniel Kaluuya appeared on on screen. Um, somebody would, uh, somebody behind me would just go, "My man," because of Get Out. Oh wow! Mm, that Brilliant. was annoying. Yeah, I bet. Someone said Daniel Kaluuya has played multiple characters. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know. People suck. Anyway, Drive. Christ, this is released in twenty eleven, directed by Nicholas Windegreffen. Right. No, it, you're right. It, the 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 violence in Drive is definitely something that sticks with you, and it is it's a flurry of nasty activity, hmm. and then then it kind of goes back to that sort of mellow, almost dreamlike, yeah, synth backed kind of you know kind of vibe. It's so it makes it makes that violence that much more shocking and that much more memorable, and that's why I can remember the bits you're talking about, I, and that's why I said about the sort of the the uh, lift bit hmm. because holy crap <laughs> you know that's that's still that's still seared in my brain somewhere and I've seen so many violent movies now yeah. they, they all kind of blur into one big bloody visceral mess at this point but there are certain ones that really stick with you and 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 that one in Drive definitely does well I remember I think the, well, the first time I heard about it was I was on uh, I was d- uh, doing some driving for work and it was on they were interviewing. Uh, the director on the radio and the uh, the interviewer was saying you sort of like reading up bits of the BBFC thing about about how violent it is and sort of like sort of this description about like sort of somebody getting shot in the head and somebody getting stamped on in a lift and about you know and, and it did sound quite compelling and I think that was we ended up going to see it like the next evening or something <laughs> Ben I've heard of this really cool film yeah um, you don't sound psychopathic at all but. Nicholas Winding Refn appeared on um, uh, BBC Breakfast and swore when he was talking about the film 
because they were saying what Havant is, and he said it's no sort of like it's no different to um, flapjacking, but like sort of yeah, live on the radio and then uh, on the TV, and then had to apologise. And the first time in like ten years, anyone had said the f word. Wow. Mm. Oh well, I know that they they accidentally aired the unedited Christian Bale rant for a, a little bit. You, know, <laughs> you don't fucking understand, and then immediately cut. And they're like, "We're very sorry," but yeah, that was that was the thing that happened on Breakfast TV. Right, drive. So, drive. I, I could do a sort of a blow by blow of of, of everything, but that's annoying. I think I most guess. people have seen. I, I I I don't know. Well, well, I think the thing the thing that I I want from you about Drive. I haven't I haven't seen it for a little bit. Mm. Is you said that it still holds up. It's mm. still, you know, because there have been a lot of films that have kind of gone for that sort of style, that sort of kind of weird feeling, um, kind of dreamlike, uh, synthy type mm. soundtrack. You know, it, it's kind of very influential, and you've still got pricks wearing silvery jackets with scorpions on them. What what? makes this a good driving thing what, what's because you said like that woman was was kind of like sued because it wasn't like fast and furious but what makes this a good driving thing to you why, why well, do you yeah, think um, this over something like baby driver so um ryan gosling's character is is not named he's just the driver or kid but he's mm. the driver and he's a driver for hire and it starts with the voiceover of him sort of on the phone issuing his rules which is that he will wait for five minutes outside, whatever, no questions asked, but, you know, follow up, and then he'll drive. Other than that, he, you know, doesn't carry a gun. He's, he's not involved. He's just, he, he will just drive. And he's waiting for, he, he's a getaway driver in, in, at the, in the opening scene for a, um, some, some people robbing a building. And it, it, so the, the opening car chase is, is quite something. You've got this, uh, the tick of the clock is, the, is the, this pulsing music in the background. Um, like, almost like a heartbeat with a synthy sort of heartbeat. It's in LA in the middle of the night, so it's that kind of dark and neon drenched streets. Um, he, you know, his driving is excellent. There's a, it's a car chase that's kind of quite, I think, measured. I guess like there's bits where so he's driving a, uh, I think it's a Chevy Impala, which is like the most popular car in LA at the time, to so sort of hide from the police. There's a bit where he'll turn his lights off to kind of avoid a police car or just park and as the police are sort of sweeping uh, sweeping like an alleyway. He's got quite a, quite a fun uh, affectation of putting his watch on, the, tying his watch to the steering wheel to, to watch the time before before driving mm. off. And then he he's, whilst the robbery's taking place and you're just in the car with him, he's listening to both a police controller police radio and the radio like a baseball game on the radio and that's where he um basketball i think i thought okay i thought it was baseball but okay i i think it's basketball because it's the staple center oh okay 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 i think i think that's what it is i i could i could be embarrassing myself here. no 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 it's, well, it's an american sport that begins with b yeah I think, yeah yeah, yeah. A, yeah uh but i'm pretty sure it's basketball okay so he parks his car under the car park so and for, sort of times it for when the the sports game ends. Nice. So he leaves with the crowd and sort of changes his cap and puts his jacket on over his shoulder, like inside out, like uh, Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible: Ghost Protocol. 
so that, that that's quite a good car chase. I mean, that's uh, we've met another film with a good car chase. We've that's kind of not high octane, but is a good car chase. Was um, the first Jack Reacher film, also yes. starring Tom Cruise. And the, I, I sort of put the car chase in the the opening sort of car chase, fleeing from police, in that kind of vein. That it's not a yeah, it's 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 not a bang bang crashy sort of flames everywhere, Fast and Furious type film. It's it's more yeah realistic. It's yeah, it's more grounded. It's uh, definitely yeah. It, it's it's got that sort of like it doesn't have that sort of cinematic sheen, does it? It's, yes, yeah, yeah. It, it, it looks, yeah. It's more gritty, I think. And then you have got the credits, which has got the song uh, "Night Call" over it, and is it is a, a phenomenal cast. This, um, yeah, yeah, I, so it's, and it's, I still love "Night Call." Yeah, uh, the band London Grammar did a very good cover of it, but no, it's it's, it's a good. The, the entire soundtrack is fantastic. Uh, Cliff Mar- uh, Martinez, uh, yeah, did the. I own it. You do, uh, did the score, and there's a sort of a. It was meant to be. Originally, it was Johnny Jewell of Desire and Chromatics to score the film, and the music was used in the score. But then Cliff Martinez came to, uh, uh, was hired to imitate the style and the feel of the bands, uh, in a sort of a retro 80th synthesizer Europop. Hmm. Because it has got that sort of Miami Vice, Vice yes, City yes. type, type kind of flavor to it, doesn't it? And that, that's that kind of, and that's again so cool because it's not, it's not set in the eighties. No, no, but it sort of weirdly feels like it is. Yeah. It's got mobile phones and stuff, and yeah, yeah. I guess in that yeah. way, it sort of feels ti- kind of timeless or out of time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sticking with the soundtrack and back to sort of things I thought I'd vaguely imagined. Also on BBC Three, in. 2014, the BBC showed this and Zane Lowe uh, put a completely different soundtrack over it as a, as a strange experiment. So it wasn't like covers of the songs, it was just completely different music. It had music was from... Was the experiment just, look how shit I can make this film? It was music from Churches, uh, Bastille, Oak Prides, um, 1975, Laura Mulver. It was... And I, I remember sort of watching it and it was it was interesting and, and I don't mind, like, you know, when we talked about Logan, I watched Logan Noir as well. And it's interesting mm-hmm. to sort of see a different version of, a, of something you like. It was it was very weird. And I don't really know. And they've not done it with, like, I don't think it's done it since, like, with films or or before. It wasn't, like, part of a series. It was just, here's a really popular film. We'll, we'll rescore it with some different artists. It was strange. That that is odd because it isn't. I mean, I know it's not like Baby Driver, but isn't some of the action like choreographed to the soundtrack? So, I mean, he's a DJ, so I, maybe he just picked something of the same sort of rhythms. Yeah, whatever, I think, I, think it's still... I mean, it's it's not like Baby Driver where you've got you know sort of guns being fired to uh, tequila at the, at the same yeah. rate or or hocus pocus. Um, so it, it's not like, I mean, some of the like um. Under Your Spell and Real Hero are the other songs used in it. And they sort of, even though they're songs before the film, they, they fit the narrative of the film. So, but not, yeah, I guess. But I remember it being, because yeah. you know, 2014 is, yeah, a while ago. But, so I remember it being strange. Not awful, but just strange. Hmm. Yes, yeah, so I'm not sure how I'd feel about that. I mean, yeah, interesting experiment. But yeah, so yeah. it's just like, what look how a soundtrack can alter the feeling of a film? I guess that just so. Seems like yeah. a fantasy project more than anything else. Yeah, 
As I say, it was, it was strange that it wasn't like part of a, an ongoing series of let's take iconic films yeah. and let's call them with something different. Like, like as a as a thing, who knows? Who knows? But no, I I never saw that, and and I'm vaguely glad I didn't. Yeah, I don't know. So, I, I, I mean, not that, not that I'm an absolute purist for these things or anything. It's just it would, I think it would annoy me. It would take me out of the movie more than anything else. I think it did. Yes, it. yeah. Or, may, or I guess maybe it makes you notice the score more next time you see it. I don't know. I guess. I guess. But, no, uh, but didn't, with, it didn't swarm my love for the film. No, but with with that, I would be like, "Ooh, that doesn't fit at all." And then I wouldn't be concentrating on the actual action that's mm. on the screen or what's being done. I'd be concentrating on the the music, which is meant to compliment, not override. You know, so. So yeah. there's a bit of um, stock car racing as well, or driving a stock car. Another, no, um, and there's a lot. Uh, so during the day, the driver is a stunt driver for films. So he does a bit of stunt driving and flips a police car and gets a a bald mask to be sort of to, like to cover his head to be standing for the main actor. And he works for Brian Cranston, uh, who, who plays Shannon, who's a mechanic who's had some sort of quite bad luck from gangsters throughout his life. And he convinces. Um, so I only know Albert Brooks from this, but I understand he's a comedy actor. Yeah, Albert Brooks is like, and and like it, a lot of the time, like kind of rom coms or he's the guy you root for. Hmm. So this is this is really really against type. Hmm. You know, I mean, that's the thing. Even when he he guest voiced on The Simpsons, sorry, it's another Simpsons reference. <laughs> they wouldn't bother scripting lines for him because he'd just be riffing on everything. So you got two uh, two two villains in this, or two, two gangsters in this, which is uh, yeah, Albert Brooks and Ron Perlman. And Ron Perlman's meant to be kind of almost the impulsive. You'd actually, I think, in another film, he'd be the impulsive sort of psychopath, and mm. Albert Brooks is the one trying to sort of rein him in. But Ron Perlman's Nino is the one who kind of causes all the problems, and Albert Brooks is the one who cleans up after him. And there's a bit where, even though Albert Brooks is really mild mannered, there's a bit where he has to. Yeah, um, he it's the fork in the eye scene, yeah. where he, you know, takes care of a problem that. Ron Perlman has caused and Ron Perlman's Nino can't watch he, he's kind of like quite loud and bullshit but when it comes to the actual violence he won't watch yeah well it's like a role reversal thing because obviously mm. Ron Perlman has, has made uh, his name playing weird beasts and yeah, yeah. Uh, and criminals in, in, in another film he he yeah he would have been the, the psycho I think yeah the psycho, yeah, yeah, yeah sure um, originally this was going to star Hugh Jackman it had been doing the rounds for years the script and it was in, and it was pitched as a sort of Fast and Furious type film for Universal. I mean, cool, but not nearly as. Like, it, as but it was sort of closer to the book because the book yeah. is quite non-linear and jumps around, and like a lot of the characters that have been fleshed out in the film aren't in the book are just like one or two lines. Right. Ryan, Ryan Gosling came on, and then he brought Nicholas, the, 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 the director, on board. Nicholas Winding or Winding Ref, I think it's, I winding, think it's but... winding. Okay, but I did, yeah, it's funny enough. I think it's Winding, but I'm not entirely sure. Either way, Nick Ref, as we call him. Yeah, well, it it definitely. I mean, as much as I love Hugh Jackman and I like driving movies that are like Fast and Furious, uh, it you can see how that would be way more generic than what we ended up with. The driver gets caught up with these gangsters. He sort of. Uh, and his next door neighbour is Carrie Mulligan, uh, Irene, and her child Benicio, and they 
have a, 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 a sort of a friendship where they have lots of sort of staring at each other um, and not really saying much, but in a kind of a sweet way. Like our friendship. <laughs> and he takes her on a drive of the storm drain thing in um, LA, the one mm. that's used in Greece and I think Terminator. And yeah, I think this is my favorite use of it in film. This particular film, what, you not in not in T two when the truck comes down and no, because this is it's like a nice trip. He sort of takes her to the very end of it, where where there's like a sort of foresty bit, and it, yes, it's, it's it's nice. Karen Mulligan's husband is uh, in prison. He's called Standard, and he's played by Oscar Isaac. And um, wonder whatever happened to him. Yeah. It's quite a minor role for him, though. <laughs> Looking back on it, so yes, yeah, so it's a very minor role for for, for him, but. Um, he he's he um, is this sort of seems to be a decent guy, and it manages to be both incredibly pleasant and incredibly threatening when he's saying to Ryan Gosling, "You've been taking care of my wife, kid, of you, have you? Yes." And sort of like keeps repeating it, but in a way that's both genial and threatening. Standard it has to do uh, it needs to do one last robbery job, which the driver helps out with because he can drive, and it goes wrong, and um. Standard ends up getting killed, so Ryan Gosling takes revenge to keep Irene and Benicio safe, which is tied into um, Albert Brooks and uh, Nino, uh, Ron Perlman. And it's sort of, it was their money that they were robbing, and it's all gone horribly wrong. So lots of people end up killed. He runs Ron Perlman off the road and then drowns him in the sea. And Ron Perlman twisted his ankle doing that. Oh. Well, it's not the worst that could have happened. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it, as I said, it's a it's a cracking movie. It's 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 one of the it's one of the ones that sort of I think we were we were sort of prototypical film nerds at mm. this time. I think we weren't quite the chin strokey corduroy wearing twats that we are now. No, I've always been one of those, but yeah, I, I take oh, no, you were. I I hadn't I hadn't become that yet, and um, and this this showed me that you you could have a film that was kind of artsy and different without being sort of pretentious and boring. I think I was convinced that there were lots of films, you know, you had your, yeah, your fun blockbusters yeah. and then you had, then you had, and yeah, some people would kind of, but, but what I took away from this is that the fact that it used the violence well, the driving was cool. The whole feel of the, of the mm. film was cool. It, it feels and, like a very cool film. Yeah. And it's got, it's got a weird vibe to it, and and Reffin's work later has been the same sort of thing, especially something like Only God Forgives, which is just a tone poem. Uh, you, you don't really, I mean, yes, you can sort of engage with the plot of that a little bit, but most of the time it's just vibes <laughs> and 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 atmosphere and and all that, and and that's what he does. Drive is actually the most coherent and um, straightforward of his movies that I've seen. And, um, and yeah, it, it kind of convinced me that, that, oh shit, you know, there are, there are these things and it, and it did make a big cultural impact. It mm. obviously made a, a proper star of Ryan Gosling. I mean, he'd, it'd be known before, but like, this was the, where he started gaining cool points. Mm. And yeah. And obviously there were memes that came out of it and, the, the look of the driver, as I said, with the silver jacket and the, the scorpion and the toothpick and the... I mean, the, the toothpick thing is meant to be... The toothpick thing is meant to be a, a, a sort of a... An, uh, sort of a, a affectation. 
that he's meant to be this kind of because he's been in LA so long he's, he's meant to be this um he's, there's a quote saying that he's lost in the mythology of Hollywood and he's become an amalgamation of all the characters that he admires he's basically mm. seen too many movies I see that's cool yeah so he's like Steve McQueen or, or people like that mm, yeah and the, the thing with the scorpion is interesting because there's a bit where they mention the scorpion and the frog but they don't really you know say what the story is about you know the scorpion climbing on the frog's back across the river and he, um, after he's killed uh, Ron Perlman, he says to Albert Brooks on the phone, uh, "If you heard of the Scorpion the Frog, well, your friend Nino you know, didn't make it across the river." Meaning, you know, in, the, in this instance, Ron Gosling is the Scorpion, but another reading is that he's the Frog because he's got the, you know, literally got the Scorpion on his back, and he's the one who's driving everyone around and carrying everyone everywhere. But he gets drawn into all the trouble. See, I hadn't heard that thing. That's cool. That makes more sense. Yeah, in case people people aren't familiar with the, the little fable of the scorpion and the frog, yeah, the scorpion uh, needs to cross a river or some kind of stretch of water, sees a frog and says, can you take me across? And the frog says, no, because you'll sting me. And the scorpion says, well, why would I do that? Because if I do, we'll both die. And the frog kind of thinks about it and goes, okay, fine. So the scorpion gets on the frog's back and like halfway across the river, the scorpion stings the frog and they're both drowning. And the frog said, what the fuck is up with you? You know, why did you do that? And the scorpion says, because I'm a scorpion, i.e. you can't nature. change your nature. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's in my nature. It's, it's, it's what, it's what I do. And so it's, it's like leopards changing spot. You mm. know, you got leopards can't change their spots. You, you, you are, you are what you are. And, and it's in the, the scorpion's nature to sting and kill. So even, even though the scorpion was dying as well, it still did the whole thing. That's a very, that's a very kind of like, truncated and i've taken some of the eloquence and poetry out of the whole thing but that's basically the story yep yeah i had no point in no kind of retelling of that have is there a bit where the frog goes what the fuck do you think you're doing <laughs> like i said <laughs> more of aesop's fable should have that <laughs> yeah. um, the frog said, you silly cunt we're both gonna die now so um shannon uh, who uh brian cranston. brian cranston has a sort of a quite a i guess sad but also quick, gentle death. He gets killed by Albert Brooks, who cuts his arm open with a razor, and sort of as he's shaking his hand, which he's refused to do earlier in the film. And mm. he, he says, you know, as he does, he sort of says calmly, "It's done. That's it. That's it. It's over." Yeah, well, it's almost like an assisted suicide, isn't yes. it? Because yeah. it's the slashing yeah. the wrist. It's the uh, yeah. And then yeah. the um, the sort of the hyperviolent bit, and the one of the most famous scenes is the the lift scene. So. The driver reveals to Irene that he was with Standard when Standard got killed, and she slaps him, and then they get into a lift um, to go out of their, their building. And a a man is in the lift who is carrying a gun. So, and it's it's a it's incredibly well filmed. Uh, the driver sort of um, guides or sort of like encourages or shoves, not shoves, but sort of pushes. Um, Irene into the back into the back corner of the lift and they kiss and it's a, a really long tender kiss and the screen kind of goes uh, everything else goes dark and just focuses on them to the point where you kind of forget there's anyone else in the lift and the kiss goes on quite a long time and then uh, they sort of part they kind of look at each other and then the driver grabs the the other man in the lift and smashes his head against the um, the wall of the lift and then repeatedly around the lift as She's backing away, and he's and the two men are fighting, 
and the driver gets the man on the floor and then just starts stamping on his head and just keeps going and going and going. And there's a split second where you sort of see, you know, his foot basically on the floor through the guy's head. And that's cut down from what wouldn't have got a rating, apparently. It was originally much, much more more gory. And then that's kind of the driving marine part. And, obviously, you know, she's sort of seen his real nature. Yeah. And um, I was watching a bit of a, uh, a sort of a Q&A. And Refn said that it, he sort of views this as a superhero film, that he's a mild-mannered guy, that he becomes a superhero and becomes his, to, to protect the one he loves. Interesting. Sort of like that, almost like a Hulk-type character. Yeah. And Gosling himself has said it's like a superhero film. The original script had, um, or in one draft, had more more of this him losing control, and that he would have um, he would have ended he would have got into a fight with with another stunt driver and ended up breaking his jaw. But they they just kept it just to this one sort of really violent moment. And then at the end, he kind of um, he meets with uh, Albert Brooks and they stab each other, but the driver survives and then leaves and the song real uh, a real hero plays again and that's the end of the film and it's that kind of american archetype of you know the man with no name or the you know the clint eastwood the jack reacher of sort of going into a town solving a problem leaving going on to the next one yeah they're not part of society they have to leave civilization at the end yeah 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 it's a yeah it's a hell of a film i love it It, it's a yeah it's a fantastic film um I'm, I'm glad it still holds up i'm glad i still like it as much as i did you know when i first yeah, saw it it's cool it's cool kind of taking these these films off the shelf after a while and just going i wonder if that's still well, there's always a worry isn't there that... yeah yeah there is because because we we're always gaining life experience we're always you know we always have events in our life or, or things that that color the way we think or change the way we think about stuff so it's like you know I've said before about certain comedies not finding mm. them funny now because my sense of humor has kind of changed or societal kind of issues have sort of changed around it so i'm kind of more sensitive to certain yep. things now and you know and it, it's and so when when you have a film that you know meant a lot to you when you were younger and and you know 2011 was a long time ago mm. now yeah <laughs> you know uh, it's you know it it's we've we've both lived a lot of life since then so Mm. you you kind of you kind of go back to and 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 you hope that it feels as it did when you first saw it and when it does it's magical because it's like it's like bottled lightning you know it's like wow this does still work and this does still rock and sometimes if the film is that good your appreciation for it has deepened which is always the best the best kind of outcome is that you're just like wow i i understand that more now i get that more i feel that on a on a kind of deeper level you know i mean i imagine i imagine kind of like a lot of uh parenting things like like uh you know adults like learning to be fathers and things like that they they resonate with you a lot more Mm. you know whereas they they don't resonate with me because i'm a heartless bastard with no children (laughs) so you know i've no son (laughs) there we go that's an i have a son reference um but the thing is, I can't even remember if that if that was in the pick and mix thing. Are they going to have? To yeah, that was the pick and mix thing. So last week, when we made that joke last okay. week. Okay, it's fine. Our hardcore fans will get it. Our our bucket heads will know what we're talking about. Shout out to my bucket heads. Oh, oh. There is generally a bit of driving in here. I really like is that he um goes into his he, he drives into his parking space under under all his flats, 
and he he puts his palm on the steering one palm of the steering wheel and kind of spins the wheel without actually looking at it as he parks perfectly and and do you try and do that every time now no i i have never but yeah no i, I like it and it, i mean there's a lot more driving in it than i thought because I, I put it on thought you know technically drive is you know what drives him to protect uh, yes the, the innocent and you know it's what he's what, dri- what he's driving everyone in the film but there is a fair amount of driving in in a film yeah yeah so that was me i think i'm something else Brilliant. I, 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 it was, it was on the short list. There, there, there were a couple of things. I mean, Drive was definitely one that comes to mind, not just because of the name. It's, it, you know, the, the fact that the character isn't properly named, he's just known as the driver. Mm. It's sort of once you, once you don't have that sort of human element to it, he's kind of just like almost part of the car, then, then yeah, you kind of can't help but associate it with driving because he's named after what he does. There was this, the, um, there's a sequel book which was written after the film called Driven, but right. they're not going to do a sequel film. Good. Yes, no, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as much as I would trust the, the original people who made it, it's just like, no. Yeah, I don't, I don't think... Unless you made it particularly 90s, I guess. So yeah, No Driver's on there, Baby Driver as well, because, mm. I mean, that has some amazing car sequences and, and really, really... It really uh, does, yeah. ...top-notch kind of... Uh, Thinking with the soundtrack and everything, um, there were a couple of kind of things. I want maybe a classic Italian job. Nice. Uh, not the remake. I love the remake. It sucks. And um, and even things like Bullet, which is one of the films that inspired Drive. Mm, you know, yes, the yeah, Stephen yeah. Queen type thing and whatever. So so I I was kind of thinking, nah, you know, I could go for those. They're a bit chin strokey. Uh, I asked my friend Ben. Uh, he said, "How about Titane?" I was like, "Never heard of it." And he was like, "Look it up." And it's a it's a French film about a woman who gets in a car accident as a kid, has to have a titanium plate in her head, and then has a weird relationship with cars, including being sexually attracted to them. And there's a scene yeah, where she has sex yeah. with a car. So, so. I wanted to well, do that because titanium. I wanted to do that just because I knew that you'd be super interested, um, but I didn't. I wondered if you go for Rush again. I went for Rush. Did you? Of course I did. Cool. Yes. Of course it's right. I love Rush, so I chose it. The closer you are to death, the more alive you feel. You're James, aren't you? Yes. Who's that? It's Nicky Lauda. He's just been signed by Ferrari. This is nobody. Look at the way he's driving like an old man. Right now, with zero incentive, why would I drive fast? Because I'm asking you to. This is an incredible battle between these two great drivers. Next time I'll have you. No chance. You're just a party guy. That's why everybody likes you. Yes, I know. I'm terrible. No, you're not terrible. You're just who you are at this point in your life. To be a champion, it takes more than just being quick. You have to really believe it. I've been waiting for this my whole life. I can beat this guy, trust me. He's consistent, dependable. Will he put his life on the line the day that really matters? Welcome to the racing drudge match of the decade. Because the thing is... 
with drawing movies and and with with these things in general like i think the the best thing about rush is that it really sets out the two different sort of like mindsets going into a very very dangerous sport and it was even more dangerous back in the day when this is set so who, who when does it come out who's it by who's the star oh yeah 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 i'll tell you in a minute mate and it, well it's directed by ron howard i know that much um, obviously starring chris hemsworth daniel Brühl, uh olivia wilde uh, alexandra maria lara natalie dormer's briefly in it stephen mangan Written by Peter Morgan, who has who wrote The Damned United, The Last King of Scotland, things like that. Frost Nixon. The Crown, I think. Crown, yeah. Um, so he tends to do quite interesting hmm. biopics, as old Peter Morgan. Like and and The Damned United was something that I don't really care about football, but I cared about Brian Clough in that. And it was a, a remarkable performance by Michael Sheen. And again, it was one of the things where you look up the interviews afterwards and just like oh shit they absolutely nailed it that's that is who i just spent an hour and a half in the company of you know it like it, it it's one of those things and it's the same with rush while i didn't really know this story because it happened before my time yeah there, there's a kind of thing so it's basically about the rivalry in formula one between british james hunt and the austrian he lauda and they had a professional rivalry, kind of a personal one as well, although apparently they were friends. Yeah, they lived but, together as know, well they, for a time. They, they had, they, but in, in the film, it's definitely more frenemies. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And James Hunt, the played by Chris Hemsworth, was more of a playboy, more of a kind of like he was into his sex, drugs and rock and roll type thing. He was, he was into the, the danger of it all, the adrenaline rush, whereas... whereas uh, Danny Brawl's Nicky Lauda is much more of a technician. He he kind of he's more scientific and like like we said earlier with the where he feels what's wrong with the car in his ash. Like he he kind of feels on a level. Whereas James Hunt he's he's not thinking that way. So it follows them up from Formula Three to eventually Formula One. It's basically kind of a, like a dual lead film, mm, yes. but but. It's narrated by Daniel Brawl, Nicky Lauda, to start with, and you even have a kind of thing of him looking at James Hunt and, like, with, you know, or women around him and partying and taking a glug of champagne and a, a smoke of a joint before he gets in the car. And I would say Nicky Lauda is actually the main character of the film. But, but it's weird how the film plays with your affections. I think you start off on... James Hunt's side because he's fun yeah. and because he's Chris Hemsworth. Yes. And and so you kind of so you know he's a he's a bit of a ladies man. He 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 doesn't care. He kind of he he throws caution to the wind. He he's you know he's known as Hunt the Shunt because he's always taking dangerous kind of like overtaking kind of things or knocking into people and stuff like that. So you get that and whereas Nicky Lauda is portrayed as a kind of Square. fastidious arsehole. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And and squared, yeah. There's there there is a great uh, edited swear word in this, isn't there? Though when they when they when they first meet, where he says, "Um, my you know my name's James Hunt," rhymes with, and then there's a microphone. Feedback. Oh yes, yes. I know you yes. don't like censorship, but sometimes it can be very funny, and that is one of them. That that is one of the things. Yes, he does say he definitely says "can't" under that. 
Um, it, it isn't just thanks, thanks, Ben. It, no, 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 no. I wasn't just doing it as a, a a thing, but you know, yes, it comes across as as uh, yeah. It makes it past the, the edit for uh, for the rating of yes. the film, doesn't it? Yes, exactly. So that's fine. Um, yes, I think I I respected our audience to know that they they know the c word when they when it's alluded to. I've used the word alluded. I get stuck in these things where I just use words a lot. Last time it was OG. This time it's alluded. What will the next one be? There'll be an ongoing competition. So yes, so so that's the thing. But as as the film goes on, because Nicky Lauda seems seems to be kind of uh, technical to the point of he doesn't get on with people. He's mm. ju- he just cares about the the job, the technicalities of it. He gets his mechanics to work through the night on a car just because he says so. He says it should be lighter and and all this stuff and 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 then just you know leaves. Uh, uh, in the morning and says goodnight and you know nothing he's not friendly to them whatever and they all think he's a prick and James Hunt certainly thinks he's a prick and they both call each other arsehole under their breath when they first meet and as the film goes on you see more of Nicky Lauda you, you you get to know him a little better and you can understand that you, you find out he's more of a self-made man like while he bought his way into Formula One which is a, a bit of contention with James Hunt and his team, he turned down any investment from his grandfather because his grandfather was uh, the mogul of some Austrian printing company. He was very, very rich. And he basically told his grandfather to fuck off and and took out a loan himself. Was it a printing company or a banking? Printing something, something to do. Hmm. Anyway, he had a lot of money and he took out a loan on his terms and bought his way into, into Formula One. And... And yeah, and he just he just has this very very technical uh, knowledge of everything. He knows how things should be, and he kind of feels that. So so James Hunt is kind of living in the impulse zone, you know. Nicky Lauder's is is very much deep in the the technical weeds, and so it's about their inevitable sort of like clashing, and it comes personally and and professionally, and it's one of those things where. Some of the things that happen in this film are extraordinary, and you would think they were made up for the movie. You genuinely would, because they seem too perfect and too kind of perfectly dramatic for the story they're trying to tell. So the fact is that at one point they're sort of trading points, basically, and James Hunt wins one race, but then Nicky Lauder's team puts in a complaint and says that his car is actually too wide and it is measured, it is slightly too wide, and he gets disqualified. And so it builds on the rivalry there. But the thing that it's all leading up to, and and even if you have knowledge of it going in, it, it, it actually adds to it because you mm. get proper dread, is Nicky Lauda had a horrific crash. And was that because it went out because it was wet? Was it? Yeah, well, they had, they had, they even had, and this is, see, I didn't think this was a true part of the film, but apparently it is. He even called a meeting beforehand. Sorry, I, I don't know if you can hear Pod Dog in the background yeah. barking her head off. Yeah. She doesn't like Formula One. <laughs> so, yeah, he called a, a safety meeting beforehand uh, because it was wet and because it was already a treacherous racetrack and, and it was wet and the conditions were less than ideal and he, he, wanted to cancel the race and so he called all the drivers together and and they had a vote and james hunt was one of the ones who actually 
voted against him because James Hunt was catching him in points and he thought that Nicky was just trying to get more of an advantage yeah. over the thing. But anyway, Nicky Lehrer has a horrific crash and uh, was stuck inside his, his car for about a minute while it burned. And they say one of the, the on the commentary that it's like, on the commentary in the, in the film, that it's over 800 degrees. Um, so he ends up very burnt and nearly dead. And he stages a comeback after all that. He has, you know, he goes through insane amounts of pain and discomfort and whatever, all the while in hospital beds and everything, watching James Hunt basically eat away at his lead because he's, he's, he's leading the pack and James Hunt is catching him. And then it becomes like a uh, sort of comeback fighter type thing. It, it's very much like a Rocky story at that point then. He, he kind of, James Hunt becomes his reason for getting better. He gets his reason for, for getting back in into the car again. And, you know, I mean, the dude breathed in a ton. Of, you know, his, his lungs were yeah. blackened and, and they have a horrible, horrible bit where he has his lungs vacuumed out. And it looks incredibly uncomfortable and painful. And but the TV is on in the background and he's watching it as he's getting it. And he even gets them to do it again. And they're like, Are you sure that your lungs are bruised and everything? And he's like, No, do it. From what I understand, it's about probably 80, 85% accurate for the most part. They, there's a lot of time and effort went into sort of making it authentic. So a lot of the cars used are authentic um, because they're in the hands of private collectors now who do them up and race them. As, uh, for fun so apparently according to the the extras on the disc the uh the, the question is uh can they be in the film and can their girlfriend be in it <laughs> <laughs> and and so so yes to both of those so you know they have crowd scenes and everything but, but yeah these people race them on the same tracks that they used to back in the day because obviously the the sport has has only got more yeah. science-based yeah, yeah. technical like it's it's nowhere near the death sentence that it used to be although i'm reading today unfortunately an 18 year old driver died on the track today oh wow okay. at time of recording yeah so you know i mean deaths are incredibly rare now but it still happens you know and and, and that's the thing the specter of death in in this film is very very apparent and it's it's there's something that you see james hunt and he's very media friendly he's very kind of like you know, outwardly confident, but he, he vomits before every race. He's on edge the entire time. He vomits before every race. And he has a he has a habit of playing with his lighter a lot. And there's one thing where Nicky Lauda has, has come back to race only like six weeks after his accident. And and you know they're they're at they're at a, a Q and A kind of panel and Nicky Lauda's actually being kind of surprisingly kind of off the cuff and funny and everything and and james hunt's being his usual self but you, you got a shot under the table of his leg jigging and just him playing with the lighter so like at the top half of him is all confident and mm. everything but he's a bag of nerves like he there's something kind of really um really up with him so so yeah so it it is interesting how it gets into the whole thing and i don't care about formula one i mean it's exciting enough and and certainly i'll tune in for the last bit of formula one it's not something that I find particularly compelling. However, in this, it's compelling as hell because the human story behind it and the way that 
as I said, it plays with your affections, almost like a race, like they're jockeying for positions. So you start off liking James Hunt and then just like, oh, actually, you know, Nicky Lauder, though, is kind of cool. And he's, he's showing a bit more personality here. And then, oh, James Hunt's like, so they, and in the end, you're kind of rooting for both of them. And it does a very, very good job of doing that. And it's, yeah, I mean, I've seen a bunch of Ron Howard movies, but this is the most stylish that he's ever done. Yeah. And apparently it's got the cinematographer from uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Okay. So we have got a lot more sort of dynamic shots. We've got shots kind of inside the engine of the of the various kind of, like you can tell I don't know much about cars, the pistons and shit going, <laughs> like the, the fuel igniting and things like that. You get a lot of freeze frames and showing you the sort of scoreboard of where they are in that season and blah, blah, blah. It's very, very well done. Yeah, Chris Hemsworth is fantastic. I mean, he's doing the Thor voice, which is a little distracting, but but he's great. And I think I think certainly the the sort of breakdown of his marriage, and I think he he becomes properly kind of nasty and bitter at times as well. But he manages to garner sympathy, and and certainly you feel his guilt later on. Uh, Daniel Brawl is the standout though. He's fucking fantastic. He also looks quite a bit like Nicky Lauder as well. It does. It, they got the sort of prosthetic things because Nicky Lauda was always uh, referred to as, as like a rat. Um, I think even the advertising people that wanted to kind of because he wasn't he wasn't the most handsome of men, but he had he had quite prominent teeth. And so Daniel Brawl has has prosthetic teeth put in, but like he absolutely nailed the Austrian accent and the his intonations and everything. And because he spent time with the actual Nicky Lauda. And um, and apparently he got a call from him at sort of like eight in the morning saying um, once he was cast in the film, like, I guess we should hang out, <laughs> but bring hand luggage just in case we piss each other off, <laughs> which is, you know, very Nicky Lauder. And Nicky Lauder does actually get a lot of the best lines in the film, especially even if it's reported speech. Like, so just after his accident, um, the doctor comes out and talks to Lauder's wife. And he said, yeah, he's, he's alive. He says, tell the priest to fuck off. I'm not dead. <laughs> you know, because the priest was there reading him his last rites. You know, it, it's, it was that, it was that fucking serious. Yeah. yeah. So it's quite, it's a horrible scene as well, isn't it? The... It is. It, and it, it, the, the thing is, it really, it, it does not skimp on the nasty. You, you feel like even when they're like peeling the bandages and obviously, I mean, the, the accident left him with, uh, kind of just bold and blistered skin he lost part of his ear um he kind of you know it he it is kind of movie monsterish at times kind of true to life unfortunately that that was how it is just every little peel of the bandage off that sort of skin and everything you feel that and as i said especially the vacuum where they where they put the 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 uh metal kind of pipe down to to suck all the shit out of his lungs it's disgusting and horrible really really horrible you feel it you just kind of you swallow that little bit extra kind of, Ooh. <laughs> so yeah and there there is there are things that i really like um the the sense of speed they really get a good job of actually making it feel like you're part of the thing i mean you know being in a formula one car i've never been in a formula one car but especially the sort of 70s it does seem like as they as they as they say in the film it does feel like it's just you're you're just riding a bomb because it it's a tiny coffin packed with 
combustible fuel <laughs> going incredibly fast. And the, the sort of the feeling of claustrophobia definitely comes up. There's they have a couple of inside the helmet shots, and again used to great effect. One of them is what Nicky Lauda putting the putting the helmet on after his accident, and yes, obviously it's very yeah, very yeah, painful. Scar tissue and stuff, yeah, yeah, all exactly. And he's trying and he's tr he's trying to kind of like fit it on, and then you just you get that shot inside the thing and you, it feels uncomfortable. It feels, you feel too close to him. You feel like you are the one causing him pain almost. So, but there's also one uh, in the rain, a race in the rain where they want to drill holes in James Hunt's visor for his helmet to help with the condensation. It will let the rain in, but it will help with the condensation. So his vision will be better. And there's a shot inside Hunt's helmet where the drill, the hand drill, is almost coming right at you. It's almost like a 3D film mm. kind of effect type thing. And again, you feel very, very penned in, very claustrophobic. And one of my favourite sequences in the movie is kind of to do with that. After after his accident, when Nicky Lauda comes back, he gets off to a terrible start in the race. And, you know, it's it's put down to numerous things. The fact that he, it, his vision is kind of blurry, and so you have a lot of shots of just his eyes, and and then his POV, as you can see, things you know, like streaking and kind of things. It's it's not going well, and you have the commentary saying, "Oh, and he's got off to a terrible start," and blah blah blah. And then he gets to a point where he kind of thinks about, you know, what he has, like his wife and his life and everything like that, and he just he almost snaps out of it, and suddenly everything gets into full focus and you know full technicolor and he starts driving like a maniac and it's great it's it's really really empowering really cool it's a proper sort of like that's where you know in the comeback fight he's been hit around he's 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 definitely got the ring rust he's kind of like swaying you think he might go down and then suddenly he just lands that one punch and then just comes back and he just finds energy from nowhere it's very much that and yeah I, I, this film just lives in my brain I've I have loved it ever since I saw it, and it's it's only got better. It's fucking fantastic, and I, Ron Howard hasn't done anything better before or since, in my opinion. Um, Peter Morgan, I think it's a great great script. I think it it adds stuff where it needs to. I mean, a lot of people point out the um, the scene after Nicky's accident where he's all burnt and everything. There's a journalist that says, "How can you face your wife looking as you do?" And then after that scene, James Hunt kind of like takes the journal to one side, pushes him into the room and beats the shit out of him. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then says, go back to your wife and ask how, you know, how you look to her or something like that. That didn't happen. That wasn't, that wasn't, re that didn't happen in real life. But it makes sense for the things because yeah. Hunt pushed the race to go ahead and pushed for those th things, his guilt, him, him kind of going and protecting Nikki in his own way. Because apparently, yes, as I said, they were, they were good friends, but they did have this rivalry. And the film do does kind of put it as the sort of frenemies. Like, they have mutual respect, but but whatever. But the cool thing is is that when it goes for sort of James Hunt's kind of living in the moment and Nicky Lauder's kind of, like, living for tomorrow and the days after, it doesn't do this kind of cheesy thing of, like, they learn from each other and they both become better people or whatever. They remain who they are. But you you get more of an understanding of why they are the way they are, and you you get there. There's more complexity. So you see that James Hunt has been has been kind of like visualizing the track and kind of like shifting down and whatever, and actually is more kind of like cerebral than than you would 
give him credit for. And Nicky Lauda can be fun. And, you know, he did, like, with the driving and certainly when he's on his honeymoon with his wife and everything, and he's just acting like, you know, they're just a horny couple just, just getting on with it. They're nearly married. and But he, he feels that, you know, he even says happiness is the enemy. He doesn't like being content. And so... Yeah, it's not it's not that they change each other or they change everything. It's just our understanding of them changes. And I think that's that's what's so brilliant about it. And the fact that it has, you know, overcoming some some kind of things. I mean, I God knows how Nicky Lauda managed to A survive that crash and B come back six weeks after the thing. That's insane. Yeah. And then James Hunt, you know, he he ends up spoilers, he ends up winning the world championship, but just the once. And then just does the celebrity thing of, you know, going on talk shows and, and advertising stuff and whatever. And he, he ends up dying at a young age in the 90s. Like, he just he dies of a heart attack at about 50. So it, it's, it's got a very sad kind of, like, real-world ending. Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic thing. It makes me care about Formula One. It makes me feel like I'm in one of those cars on the track. It does an incredible job. Hans Zimmer's score is fucking fantastic as well. I mean, the, the, ah, uh, shit, what is the name of that? God, I knew I'd forget it. Give me a second. There's, there's one track in particular that is very, very noticeable and iconic. I, mean, I just can't remember the sodding name of it. It's called Lost But One. And uh, I, I urge you to listen to that on your own time because it is a brilliant, brilliant piece of music. And, uh, again, and it has some great, it has some great kind of music choices anyway, kind of a lot of Steve Winwood. I love in there. You have a more generic sort of like um, montage later uh, set to David Bowie's fame where James Hunt is enjoying fame. You see what they did there? Yeah. Um, but, you know, it it's great. It is so, so good. I love this film. And, uh, yeah, it makes me care about a rivalry that was over before I was born <laughs> about a sport I don't care about. Um, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm into this film and I'm, I, it's made me interested about the whole thing, you know, that their rivalry and everything. I think I can see why a film was made of it. It's the second time you, cause you brought this up for a, one of our non-ed pilots or one of our, um, films that didn't, episodes didn't record on Biopics. Yeah. So it, it's clear how much you, you know, like the film. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, yes, yeah, so that is kind of a dual dual biopic between James Hunt and Nicky Lauda, more yeah, Nicky Lauda. Yeah. But uh, but yes, when when I kind of was going through driving films, because there there were a couple, there were, there were things like Joyride as well, which I always champion. It's a Paul Walker movie, um, kind of a horror movie esque type thing. It's worth watching. It's on Disney Plus now, in fact. Um, and you know there there were numerous others, but none of them mattered to me as much as Drive does. Drive, thanks. Rush. <laughs> uh, but but that is one of the problems, though. I do wish the title was less generic, because there's even a film called Premium Rush, hmm. which is the, the JGL uh, bike movie, which is great, also. But but you know when it comes to driving movies, you know Rush is great, but it's like, have you seen Rush? That could be any number of things. Rush the band, you know. It, it's I do wish it had a better sort of name. But that's that's the only thing that I kind of wish was different. Um, I I love it, I really do, and it's uh, 
is a fantastic movie and it was pretty much my only choice for this because I was kind of like all those other things yes it I could and yes I could stretch myself and watch something I haven't seen before whatever but I may as well talk something talk about something I actually care about and actually really really love so I picked Rush so that's it are you more of a Mayo Lynch are you more of a uh, a Hunt or Louder Ooh, I don't know I mean in general I would say I'm more of a Hunt I would like to be more Louder I think, uh, but if I was, if, if I, I kind of, I appreciate both their outlooks. You're definitely more of a louder. Thanks. You are, though. I mean, were you ever going to say James Hunt? No. <laughs> Take our quiz. Are you a Hunt or a louder on the popcornbucket.com? <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I'm, I, I think I'm, James Hunt is the sort of person who, who didn't do his homework and just winged it the entire time. Nicky Lauda was... The Rob Benya of the uh, Formula One seventies circuit, you know, that's fine though. You end up getting the last laugh. Yep. I think I think the the, the lesson is that that there are merits to both. So that's maybe the lesson that people should take away from this podcast. But they should definitely vote for Rush because I was. Done up like a kipper when it came to Hummingbird versus Alan Partridge. You genuinely so, think it was the the Rob, post feature? Rob, Rob, I'm not. I'm not. I've moved past it now. <laughs> Clearly, That's what we're, I we're not. It. We're not discussing it anymore. Now, now it's between Drive and Rush. So, the people will decide. We put it to you, the people. The people. Yes, you really want that Bane clip in, don't you? Yep. Yeah. The people. Brilliant. So, drive or rush? Rush or drive? Rush, 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 rush. Battle of the one-word car titles. Yes. No birds this time. And you can't fuck around with the pictures, so... That's the noise Rob makes when he knows he's losing. 60-40. Let's shut up. Let's end this now before I hurt you. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for your time and thank you for listening. We'd love to have your feedback. Please email podcast at popcornbucket.com. You can find us on Instagram at popcornbucketpod or over on Twitter at popcornbucketpd. Many thanks to Lauren Zone of Longcat Media for the theme music. If you're able to, it'd be great if you can rate the episode wherever you listen to your podcast and subscribe and share. Many thanks. Take care. And see you next episode. Well, he said. Ha 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 ha. I see, because he gets the last laugh. Ha 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 ha.